Chris was just mentioning that, uh, yeah, we know it's through the Word of God that He speaks today, right? His Spirit in the quiet. Um, that's something that uh, even as I was singing, I was thinking, you know, it'd be so much easier if we just got it all at once. You know what I mean? Like, like just all of a sudden, you know, we received the Spirit. Like I placed my faith in Christ. I recognized I was a sinner, right? God's promise, He saves me. I receive His Spirit. I'm regenerated, indwelled, adopted, and sealed. And it's, I know now, ready to move forward. It doesn't work like that, does it? Right? And the ups and downs, and, and I think even in my own life, just a little bit, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. And as I seek Him, and as I pour over the pages, and, and I learn from others there, it, it, it's a process. Right? And I'm thankful for that. And... Uh, I think that guards from it becoming discouragement as well, knowing I don't have to know it all at once, right? It's, it's a learning, growing thing, whether it's a, a babe in Christ or someone that's wrestling with things, so it's, it's a process. So I'm going to invite you this morning to, to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Um, we were in Luke 21, and, and I put a cap on that, and then just made a decision I was just kind of planning out in, in Wednesday night prayer meetings, um, we're chronologically working through the Gospels, and uh, Jesus has its sights, right, for Calvary. And I thought to myself, we might kind of find ourselves cross-herring a little bit between Wednesday nights and, and, and Sunday mornings. And so uh, creatively, I'm going to invite everyone to join us for Wednesday nights, and uh, I'm going to look at, we're going to look at Calvary and, and that Passion Week, and we're going to try and include some pictures from our time in Israel and whatnot. Um, so we're going to use that time to cover our Savior going to the cross, right? And our Savior there in the tomb and, and the resurrection. Um, but with that being said, um, Sunday mornings, we're going to step into Luke chapter 24 and finish the book of Luke, and then we're going to move into the book of Acts. And that's, there's a, several reasons for it. Um, I can't say that it's going to be any less deeper in teaching because the more I read through the book of Acts, the more, more doctrine and the more connections there are. Uh, but I do think with some of the concerns and the things that I, I hear people voicing, um, it'll be adequate for where we're moving to. So we're going to finish the book of, of Luke with chapter 24 and then move into the, the, the book of Acts and uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So with Luke 24 before me, I have three points for this morning. And you'll notice on your new notes, uh, verses 1 to 3, the Messiah King was removed. I've got a question mark there for a reason. We're going to see verses 4 to 7, the Messiah King was raised from the dead. And then we're going to close our, our, our study there, working down to verse 12. And I don't have it. Oh, here we go here. The Messiah King's words were remembered, and that'll keep us on track. So if, if we have problems following, they're right there, one, two, and three. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this wonderful, well, I, it's more than wonderful. Um, Lord, we thank you for this amazing, incredible provision that you made. Lord, on behalf of, of all humanity, on behalf of all sin, and that was you on the cross. 
Lord, I pray this morning that, well, even saying that, that you would send us home to read through that narrative of you in the flesh willingly offering up your life in our place. And Lord, that's not something that people make up. Lord, that's not something that anybody could create. Lord, we read that from the pages of Scripture, and that's why we believe it. Lord, we thank you for that, and even as we step into Luke chapter 24, Lord, my prayer would be that, that this in no way would be detached from that lifeless body that was given in my place. But we know he didn't stay dead. Lord, we know that, that you raised him from the tomb, and that's where we step in here. Lord, he paid the price for sin, his blood. And Lord, here we have the good news, the resurrection hope. Lord, I pray that this would just go, go deeper than what I could even begin to present. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So Luke 24, beginning in verse 1, says, Now on the first day of the week, very early, significant for those that aren't morning people, <laughs> I don't think we'd build a church on this. You have to get up very early. We wouldn't do that. Uh, but it was very early in the morning. They and certain other women were with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And that's where that first point, there, the, the Messiah King's body had been removed. Well, no, we know it wasn't removed. It was raised. But certainly you can imagine what was going through their minds. And it happened as they were greatly, New King James uses the word, perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Right, and we know from other narratives there, we have two messengers of God, two angels here beside the tomb. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Our prayer meeting crowd just worked through John 11, so that should, should really stand out. Why do you seek the, the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen! Exclamation mark. Right? He's risen! Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying... The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. I mean, this wasn't just an all of a sudden there. Jesus had said it would happen this way. And when Jesus is saying that it would happen this way, I mean, the Old Testament text all points towards this. I mean, it's not new. It's like, oh, okay, now it's happened. I mean, they're living out prophecy. You think that would have been exciting? <laughs> what's going on right now? And they remembered his words. Verse 9, then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, let's just quiet ourselves and, and, and imagine what this must have been like. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. My Bible has a side note that takes me to the center column that says nonsense. Hmm. 
Their words seemed to them like idle tales or nonsense, and they did not believe them. Well, that's, that's probably skipped over much in the, the resurrection story. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. So just coming to point number one in our notes, the Messiah King was removed. And I put in brackets here, that, I mean, that, that's the worst case scenario from the very beginning. Now, if we were to think back in, in our understanding, I mean, what did, what did, the, the, what did Pilate and the, the Pharisees, what did they agree on would take place after Joseph of Arimathea had placed him in the tomb with Nicodemus? What did they do? They sealed the tomb, right? They hired guards. For the Pharisees, the worst case scenario would be that Jesus of Nazareth, the new prophet, the one, the one proclaiming his messiahship, that he is the Christ, that he would be killed, dead, 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 <laughs> and then be walk, found walking around. Worst case scenario. I mean, that, that, I don't even know politically what that would do for them. I mean, it would just take the slots right out. So that was the, the worst case scenario, that Jesus would be found alive following. And yet here we are. So the Messiah, Messiah King was removed. We see in verse 1 where it says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, okay, first day of the week. Let's not think of our weeks. Let's think of the Jewish weeks, right? As you think through this, this is their Sunday. This is Resurrection Sunday. The Sabbath is the Saturday. So the first day of their week is the Sunday. The women couldn't go to the tomb on Saturday because it's the Sabbath. Right? And that's pretty significant because if your teacher, your rabbi, your, your Christ, your anointed chosen one, the one whom you worship, the Son of God, some, all those things that these women had come to that place of recognizing, right? If the, he, he had just died and was placed in that tomb, for a full day they couldn't go see him. They couldn't grieve, right? They couldn't work through those different things. So I think there was some anticipation as they're approaching this morning, like now we can go. We've been preparing as much as they could <laughs> on that Sabbath day. Right? Their hearts were ready to go and grieve. And, and I know in this room that many of us have lost loved ones. Right? Not that long ago. And you think of, of, of how much that is needed in our grieving process. The idea of going and saying goodbye. Right? The idea of, uh, of closure, of being around other people and saying goodbye. So, so let's add that to the ambiance here. Right? This is very early in the morning. I mean, it, it, as soon as possible, as soon as it's safe maybe for these women to go. When we find them heading for the tomb very early in the morning, they, who were the they? Well, we come down to verse 10 and it describes the group. Read it with me, verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them. Okay, so here we have a group. We read it here in verse 10. If we were to root for some context, because it is important to understand who these women were, right? And, and, and women in that culture weren't raised properly, I'm going to say there, as God intended, right? To, to, to be equal, to, to have the roles, and, and this is pretty significant. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 8. I know it's in your notes, but 
Um, Luke chapter 8, and I just want to show you the context and who, these, who some of these women were. Luke chapter 8. I love the, the sound of turning pages in scriptures. But Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Well, we have a group of women, and they're not just going to this tomb because they knew Jesus. There was intimacy here. There was deliverance here. Luke chapter 8, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass afterward, and again, without going too deep into context, we have another narrative where Jesus is, is traveling, he's, he's, he's preaching, you know, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's authenticating himself with signs and wonders. It says, Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God right who is Jesus and, and this is why we, we take our time through this Messiah Hebrew to English means anointed chosen one the Old Testament scriptures all point towards him as the king and as he's preaching he's going I'm here I'm come I'm offering to you the kingdom of God you need to believe you need to repent as Israel and turn back to God what does Christ mean Greek to English anointed chosen one and we see that transition from old testament into new testament so here he's preaching himself he's pe preaching god's program bringing the glad tidings or the gospel of the kingdom of god and the 12 were with him so here we go contacts with the women and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities okay i mean it it's if that Infirmities, sickness, you don't spend much time thinking about evil spirits until you work with someone who is wrestling with the demonic, doing things of the occult, right? And then, I mean, even in this church family, we, we've seen God deliver from a lot of different, and I'll say weird stuff, Right? Satan, Satan is merciless when it comes to, to, to destroying lives. And here we have a woman, and who knows what she was doing. We're going to say that she had seven demons in her. But you can only imagine how Satan was destroying this woman's life. Read with me. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene. This is one of the women that are heading for the tomb. She recognized him. She recognized her king recognized her savior right here when she's heading to the tomb she recognized he just died had that too the one who who saved her from the demonic right and and just went to the cross and and, and i'm sure she doesn't fully comprehend this there but 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 the one with that intimate connection with her just died goes on to say and joanna another name and the wife of chusa herod Stuart, and susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance these women had a direct connection. Right? If you were to do a study through that there, it is amazing. Right? So let's come back to Luke 24, and we've added this personal touch as they're heading to the tomb. I don't think just because Mary Magdalene was delivered means she forgot who she was before Christ. Right? As she made her way to that tomb, she recognized, He did that in my life. Right? Put that together with that as they're, as they're coming. So verse, bringing the spices which they had prepared, verse 2 says, but they found the stone rolled away. Right? 
Why were they just coming now? We've covered that. They found the tomb, the stone rolled away. Verse 3 says, Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Just quieting myself with that there. I asked myself, like, why were they just coming now? It was because the tomb had been sealed and guarded. The worst case scenario for the Pharisees was that the Messiah, the Christ King, the Son of God, Son of Man, had been raised by the Spirit of God and was alive at the right hand of the Father, ruling. I'm repeating that because that is so important. The worst case scenario, and I got thinking to myself as well, isn't that the worst case scenario for our own government today as well? That they're not in charge. Christ is. When we think of the world, when you think of the lawmakers, I'm taking a, a ethics and, and morality course, and it is American, but the things that they're presenting that the American government is, is, is passing right now, they think they're in charge, but they're not. There is a day of account, account, accounting that they're going to have to reckon with because they have stepped away from this. And the things that, that he's presenting and, and the bills and the senates and all that... I know my Canadian government's that bad, if not worse. Right? They are not in charge. Christ is at the right hand of the Father ruling right now, and that should be a reckoning for the church. We're called to be that voice. Think about that Father, and that's a worst-case scenario for the government that is not ruling for God, for the wicked, and the direction they're taking society. But the fact that Christ is ruling should be an awakening for the disobedient believer as well. That Christ is ruling. And if their lives are not lining up with the word of God, guess what? They'll stand before the judge one day. There's a seriousness to that. As we think about this, there's an application, right? As I thought about the women having to wait to go, these women had to wait because of the Sabbath. They had to anticipate, they had to prepare before they could go, but they still went right through that. I wrote down in my notes, don't become distracted with details. They had to wait, but they still went. These women came upon a very unexpected scene, but they still went in. And don't be deterred from doing what's right. Think of how many times if, if that situation had not been how I pictured it, I would have probably turned around and went the other way. Right? I mean, I, the, the idea of this is not how it's supposed to be, I'm out. And... I think men are just as prone to do that as the women are, right? But I mean, like, to do the right thing. And they went in and, and they looked. Let's move into to verses 4 to 7. When the Messiah King was raised from the dead. It says, And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? I don't know what it's like talking to an angel face to face or in person, but uh, I imagine there's some authority that comes with that. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise uh, again. Very specific. I mean, prophecy, point on point on point on point. When God says it, that settles it. It's true. So we think the Messiah King was raised from the dead. In verse 4, you see God's working is sometimes perplexing. This is the most amazing, miraculous, incredible story that we hold in our hands. And yet for some, 
right? It's perplexing. As they walked through it, as it unfolded, it was perplexing. We see in verse 5, God's working sometimes brings fear and places us on our faces. Right? As we read that, they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. Sometimes God's plan does that. Right? It brings us to that place. Verse number 6, we see God's working always points to his promises. He is not here, but is risen. That's not the first time they'd heard that. They were born and raised in the scriptures. They knew, they knew, or, or at least had, a, had an inclining, right? And, and Isaiah 53 is the perfect instant that he would die, but yet he would see his inheritance. He would see the seed placed before him. They knew that this Messiah King, the suffering servant, would not stay dead. God's working always points to his promises. And then in verse 7, God's working is always according to his word. Right, and we see that, and, and I won't, I'd love to take the time, but um, when we see that in that red letters of verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. I put two, uh, two references, one from Daniel and the other one from Luke 22 there for your own study, where, where that, that's the principle. We've been through it as a church family in our study there. They didn't have a problem with him calling himself the Christ. In Luke 22, they had a problem when they were on trial, when they said, are you the son of man? And Jesus said, from this day forward, you'll see the son of man at the right hand of God. Right? That was the problem that they had, the, the, the deity in the flesh. They had a problem with Jesus saying, I am God. Huge. And I know Dr. Dory does a good job of keeping that because so many people today, so many denominations, so many different religions try and remove that, and we can't. Right? Jesus is fully God, fully man, and that's what makes that perfect sacrifice. That's the only way that perfect sacrifice was acceptable. Right? So here we have there, God's working is always according to his word, which is an exhortation to us to read and listen. And again, these women, they had heard these words. And I know Jesus, he didn't just travel around without his scriptures. That's what he was discipling in. He was always pointing, the synagogues, he was always pointing towards where they need to read and they need to listen. And that helps them through these hard times, these things when God is working and they're asking questions. Right? It's always according to God's word. And especially when it comes to eschatology and things like that. I mean, our Bibles have to be open. An application coming from those four points. Following Christ in obedience based on the word, not you, and that's, that's important. If you're not reading the Bible, then I'm going to say you're not living in obedience. It's that simple. It's when the, the scriptures are open and you're allowing the spirit and, and your, your, your fellowship with other believers and accountability, right? Following Christ in obedience was never promised to be easy. And I'm getting that, like as I'm reading, they were perplexed. Right? It was never meant to be easy. There will be perplexing times. I also want to notice how these women are not alone. They're not handling things on their own. I think to myself how many great godly women have fallen to this, and I use the word pride, and set a horrible example for younger generations to follow because they're trying to go through things separated from the church. There's a group of women together. 
right? They're grieving together. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus together. They're going through this together, and that's huge. We need to recognize that. And we see with the two messengers that are there in verse 5, right? And, and <laughs> these group of women together, they're afraid. They're on their faces the earth. Why do you seek the living among the dead? We see God meet them. Right? We see God meet them. God sent his messengers to them. God sent them a divine reminder that they knew and held what he had given them to prepare and lead them through these circumstances. Do you see that? Right? Well, where it says there, he, do you, pardon me, verse 6, he is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Jesus showed you these things. He told you these things. I'll read this for you. Well, maybe we'll turn there too. But I pondered on that word remember. Right? That remember in verse 6 is not always a reminder. The second time in this passage we see a rebuke to read and listen. Right? Apply. I mean, God has prepared you. He's given you the words for what you're going through. I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke 18. It's just back a couple pages. Luke 18, verse 31 and 33. This isn't just an, an open open slap to the face or, or a snarky remark. Right? Quite often, especially there when we find ourselves perhaps during grief, perhaps during life circumstance, perhaps dealing with family and we're in a tailspin, we forget that God has given us what we need for those moments. He, he's already told us. Luke 18, 31 says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Didn't Jesus showed them in the Old Testament Scripture some of those things? I mean, this isn't just there. He, he, he told them, the prophets, Old Testament Scriptures, these things are going to take place. Okay? For he will be delivered unto the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Again, that idea that the reminder isn't always a reminder. Sometimes it comes with a rebuke. Read it. Listen. Right? You need to grasp these things. And that narrative in verse 34, but they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. Was that God hiding them, or was that some of their unbelief and not listening? Right? It's an interesting study to work through. So let's come back to Luke 24, and we'll, we'll, we'll work at landing, landing this plane. The Messiah King's words were remembered. Verse 8, it says, and they remembered his words. I don't want to be rocket scientists. They remembered his words. I'm hoping they remembered the references in the Old Testament too. Luke 24, verse 8. All right, I mean, they remembered. It clicked. There's something about their taking the time to connect the Old Testament Scriptures, the red letters of the New Testament, and now we're, we're post-Calvary and they're going, oh, now it makes sense. Makes that whole faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Makes sense. It's connected. But it does take time. 
Right? It, takes, it takes peace by peace. Sometimes it takes walking through it. Sometimes it takes being perplexed in those moments and fear and on your face. But when it says they remembered, I think something settled for them. Right? Finally, it settled. They remembered. The women remembered. And I put in my notes here, rebuke is a good thing with humility. Right? Read, listen, connect these dots. We have in verse 9... These women return with a role to fulfill. I mean, they step into to history as firsthand witness of the empty tomb. I mean, they're the first ones to, to engage in this, like, like he is raised. Verse 9 says, Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. We worked through verse 10. It was Mary Magdalene with that intimacy of what Jesus did for her. Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And verse 11, their words seemed to them like nonsense. Idle tales, and they did not believe him. I wrote down, these women were rejected. I mean, they're living out prophetic history. I mean, think of the excitement. Think of the, the just, just bewilderment. Like, just talk to angels. The tomb's empty. These scriptures are connecting, and they come back to the apostles, and there's unbelief. This is nonsense. Like, like, like uh, there's, there's acts, the, the, the rejection that must have taken place and how those women felt must have been a... Must have been something to, to behold. Wrote down this morning, how many church meetings are like this? Where you have the excitement, right? The things that people are learning, the things that God is doing, and yet when it comes time to share or whatever, it's like, no, no that's nice. You're so, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? How many church meetings are like that? It's just nonsense. How many new believers and how many students are silenced with this very thing? You know, unbelief. You know, like, I've never heard that before, so I mean, like, that's... I don't like to study. That, that's too much work. I'm not interested in this. This one's a, this one's a hard one because I know it touches on many, many different areas. How many marriages reflect rejection in this same way? This is what God's doing. This is what we're learning the tomb is empty, he's risen. These scriptures are connecting. How many marriages reflect rejection because of unbelief or no desire for the words of God? And I think we begin to see and begin to experience what's going on here with these women because they're coming to the apostles. I mean, the 12 that spent time with Jesus and they're going, these are the scriptures that connect and the tomb is empty and I'm so excited. Right? Like, we gotta go find, like, what's going on next? And they're like, you're crazy. I don't really care. It's impossible. And, and, and you imagine that. So application. Sometimes we all need a good kick in the pants in order for us to be reminded. Right? Sometimes we do. To read and listen to what God has told us will happen and prepare for it. This takes being intentional with our alone time in the prayer and word. I wrote down here, I'm sorry. But 90 seconds with the daily bread does not do it. All right, it's a good start. But it's getting quiet 
It's connecting those things. I mean, I mean, it's being in those situations prepared to be used. God often honors and uses us following these intimate special moments and situations. But like these ladies, this is where it gets serious, and I should have bolded it, don't expect your message to be embraced by people who are not in the same place as you. Do you see that from that verse? The apostles weren't in that place. I mean, their hearts, perhaps it was still grief, perhaps it was still disbelief at what they had just went through. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe it's still part of, maybe Satan was sifting them all. And these women come in on fire, like just, just excited. Don't expect others to be in that same place. Or don't expect others to be embraced by people who are not in the same place as you. And I think you understand. These women stepped out of an angelic experience and understood that they were participating in prophecy. Being excited is an understatement. And what they found is what so many find when they seek to share in churches, families, marriages, friends that pin on the name Christian. They came into a room and they found self-focus. That's about me. It's what I, what I think. It's, it's, they found indifference. I don't really care. Oh, we have bigger things. We have pressing matters. I mean, we have all the things that could go on to that. They found willful ignorance. We don't even see them entertaining what these ladies there were sharing. And we find their response. It's nonsense. Nonsense and unbelief. So verse 12, and this is what we'll land the plane with. Um, but Peter arose and ran to the tomb. For my point there, I said, I think all of us could take a lesson from Peter this morning. He ran, arose, and ran to the tomb. And stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Again, I think all of us could take a lesson from Peter this morning, facing any stalled Christian group, because he had to leave a group of believers to pursue this himself. I mean, these are the apostles. Peter had to step away from, from those that, that walked with Jesus to go see for himself. While the rest chose to doubt, the rest chose to accuse, the rest chose to remain ignorant, what did Peter do? He got up. Right? I'm not saying that those apostles didn't come along afterwards and, and God works through that, and we're all individuals, I get it, but Peter was the first one to say, you know what? The ladies are presenting something here. And he got up. I had to go see. Right? I mean, like, like maybe the dots were connecting here. Well, the rest accused in unbelief, idle tales, nonsense. I can't imagine saying that to a group of women that just went to the tomb. He ran to the tomb. While the rest hid and trembled and struggled with their faith. And that's where context comes in. And we don't have time to get into that, but it would have been a very poetical tense, fearful time, right? Their Messiah King has just left. The one that raised the dead has just left, right? What are we going to do now, right? Terrifying time. While the rest hid, trembled, and struggled with their faith, what did Peter do? He stooped, he saw, and found himself marveling at what had happened. Last of verse 12, he marveling to himself at what had happened, when he pieced, when Peter pieced together the words of Christ, and, and I almost want everybody to hold this up. 
when he pieced together the words of Christ with what had happened, I do not think that much else mattered anymore. You know what I'm trying to say this morning? When he made that connection and he's marveling at what had happened, nothing else mattered anymore. You read that narrative, right? This is the man that will jump out of a moving boat because he sees his Christ on the shore. Those pieces connected, the gospel found its place, the full gospel found its place, and nothing else mattered anymore. The full gospel of God had shone into this man's heart. Did he believe that Jesus was the Christ prior to Jesus' death? Of course he did. He was one of the first ones to declare it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the full gospel found its place in this man's heart, and life was changed forever. That's what the gospel does. That's what the church needs for that full gospel to find its place in our hearts and lives. The close there is that is when the assembly of God begins to understand and live out the full name, full meaning of He is risen. Right? When those pieces fall together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Well, we thank you. Think of that song. We illumine me. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, that works in the hearts of your believers. Lord, those who have placed your, their faith in you, and, and, and we know your spirit works through your word, and those that have not come to that place yet. Lord, we would ask that as we read through the, these pages of Scripture, that we would understand that this is you speaking, this is your authority, and this is not some sort of man-made system. Lord, this is you laying out before us what you expect of our lives. And Lord, we would pray if, if there's any in this room that are perplexed Lord, or, or fearful or, or facing whatever it is, Lord, I pray that they would hear the reminder that they've been given in your word what they need for, for life, for these circumstances, but they need to read it and they need to listen. And Lord, perhaps... There is, is areas of our lives and, and just even thinking towards this afternoon's meeting where there is some areas where we need to transition. And perhaps there are many of us need to take Peter's actions, Lord, and to, to arise, to run, Lord, to take that step. Lord, my prayer would be there that again, you would knit together this church family that we would leave here there marveling, connecting the dots. We know that this is you that does it, and so we would ask for just that to take place. And I pray these things in your name.